Our second reading is from the book of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. So I am, as, as Johnny said, we are uh, talking about the fifth commandment today, which is a little odd because as a child, I was not the best at keeping the fifth commandment. Uh, I certainly wasn't exemplary in that, although many people might have thought I was. Uh, I kind of, I was good at that game. Uh, and I, I am a, a father of four children. My wife is here, and, and we, we have four children. Um, to quote the, the great theologian of sorts, uh, Jim Gaffigan, he said, if, if you want to know what having a fourth child is like, he said, imagine you're drowning, and someone hands you a baby. And, and that, that is our life, uh, very much so. Um, that's why we came in two cars this morning. Uh, that's, that's why, uh, yeah, so many things. Uh, so, uh, but it, the, our kids are, are a delight. They are. We, um, you know, our parenting has new challenges uh, every day. We have one child who I won't name, but this child's in a particular stage of development where obedience is particularly uh, undesirable uh, for them. So, um, uh, we have, if there was in the Guinness Book of World Records a record for the most acts of disobedience in 60 seconds, I think my child's name would be there. If I say, it is time for dinner, come wash your hands and come to the table, uh, within, seriously, the next 30 to 60 seconds, this child will punch somebody, spit on somebody, uh, you know, kick a door, slam a door, uh, jump on or off furniture, with her, which they're not supposed to do, uh, use potty language, and, uh, and then, then hide then hide underneath something, so I have to go retrieve them. Um, you know, and often when we think of disobedience, though, uh, we don't think of little kids as much. I mean, when we think of what's the worst way you could break this command, you know, we might think of rebellious teenagers. We might think of someone who, uh, who is in frequent trouble with the law, who is getting suspended from school often. We might think of someone like that. Maybe, if you're familiar with this story, there's a story called The Prodigal Son, uh, it's in the Bible, it's in Luke 15, but uh, it's also become a part of Western culture. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, where this son of a wealthy landowner uh, said to him, essentially, he filed suit against his father and said, I demand you give me what is mine. I'd rather that you were dead now and I could have my inheritance and spend it now. And, and he left, took all of his things, his inheritance, and then spent it all and then came back eventually and was forgiven. Uh, but we think of maybe something extreme like that, of, of what disobedience looks like. And that certainly is the nightmare of many, children, of many parents um, as well. You know, we don't want our kids to have that kind of a life, have that kind of baggage. But what we're going to talk about this morning is that the fifth commandment is, it, it involves obeying your parents, but it does involve more than that too. It, there's a bigger picture it's connected to, uh, a grander story uh, and, and a, a beautiful promise that, that's involved with it. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at what the command means, and we're going to look at, for all of us, what it means for all of us, what the command means, why it's so hard to follow, and then, as you might have read earlier, as was read, 
It's the only commandment that comes with a promise that it may go well with you and you live long in the land. And so we'll talk about what that promise means for us and how that promise can really radically transform uh, our life in better ways. It really can. So what this commandment means, why it's so hard for us to follow it, and then what this promise can do for us, how it can change our life dramatically uh, in positive ways. So first, what does this command mean? It is a command to honor. A command to honor. And the Apostle Paul very wisely applies it to children. He says in Ephesians 6, as you read, it says, uh, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So what Paul is saying is that the command to honor your father and mother for a child, for someone who's still a child or a teenager, someone who's still living at home under the, the rule of their parents, uh, under the authority of your parents, really what that command means is obey your parents. It's, it's a fairly straightforward, easy-to-understand rule, uh, but it doesn't just stop there. Uh, it goes on, and Paul keeps applying this, and he moves on to parents, and he says parents, uh, or fathers and mothers by extension, he says, uh, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul is applying the same commandment uh, in a way tapping into it and applying it to not just children, but to parents. And finding that there's, it's because there's a greater story, a greater promise that all this is connected to. The, the commandment to honor your father and mother is commanded to this greater story of God uh, being in control of all things. And while he's in control of all things, he has designed, our, he's designed us to be his agents of authority on earth. Now, this might make absolutely no sense to you. When you're a teenager, you were very keenly aware of how little sense this made, because you were thinking, my parents aren't perfect, and I'm supposed to obey them. But if you think about it, why would God command that authority be given and exercised by people who are sinners, who are flawed, who don't know everything, and yet he very clearly does? He, com he commands parents to raise their children well, and he commands children to obey them. Doesn't that just blow your mind? How could God possibly do that? To, to set things up, to, to uh, give his, to give authority, if you will, to people like us. Well, it's something he's done all throughout scripture. I mean, you go to, if you're familiar with the story, you know, way back when he uh, created Adam, he, the first thing he did, gave him authority to name the animals. He gave Adam authority to name every creature. Uh, then you go to the New Testament, you see Jesus sending out his 12 disciples and giving them authority to preach the gospel and to cast out demons, like giving them authority to cast out demons. Then we see also Jesus give authority, saying, I have all authority, but I'm sending you out to do my work of making disciples of all nations. And, and you can go and teach them what I have commanded you. Like that, that's a role, that's a, a role of authority, if you will, uh, in a way. And this leads us to an understanding of this command that, that strikes at where we itch. Because when we think of authority given to broken people, something makes us itch, right? Something makes us not, not like that. And because God's command within his greater structure, his command of authority is connected with responsibility, that those on whom God grants authority, he also lays responsibility. 
So as Uncle Ben or Yoda or somebody once said, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, right? You heard that? I don't know who that was. Does anyone know? Um, Someone said, with great power comes great responsibility. And so that's why he talks, with, as he addresses fathers and mothers, he says, as you, as you parent your children, don't provoke them to anger. You know, your attitude towards them should be one of love. Your attitude towards them should be one of care. Like you are responsible for them. This child is not a lesser being. This child is just a growing being. And parents, you are in charge of your children. You are the ones who get to and who, who must uh, raise them well. Uh, raise them to have everything that they really need to provide for them, to raise them in the instruction of the Lord and in all good things. And that's a heavy responsibility. And so we have this, this twofold command of, of children, obey your parents in the Lord. So I want to address this really quick. I, I, wanna, I have to be quick, but the, uh, this, we, we're very keenly aware of how power can be abused. In our society, you know, we almost, almost look for it all, the, all over the place. Uh, when, when a leader, when a civic authority abuses power, we seek to have them replaced immediately, right? Uh, when we see power mishandled, we want that corrected. Uh, we do. We agree that power should come with responsibility, that that should not be neglected. And, uh, and so, uh, and this does... Uh, this, this brings up a sense of, um, of wondering how, how we can really be secure in this. Children, you might have this question, how can, how can this work, going back again, to have sinful parents uh, over you and obeying them? How can that be good for you? Uh, I'll just speak to children for a moment. You, you have parents, they don't know everything you know, and they say 11 p.m. is when you have to be home. Uh, and you think, you can think of all the reasons why that's a bad idea, why that's a bad rule. You know, you can think of all the reasons why that's not good. And there might even, uh, and you can trust in your parents' wisdom on that, but let's use an extreme example. And let's say your parents say you have to be home way earlier than that, or you can't go out at all. And it just feels really unfair. Like, there's a rule that just feels unfair. Uh, what this says, when it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, is when you obey your parents, you can trust that God, who is sovereign over everything, can use your obedience to their authority for your ultimate good. Like He is able to use your obedience to their authority for your ultimate benefit. Even though it seems like it will never work. You know, if I, if I miss out on all these great social events, there's no way that'll be good for me, but God can use those things for your good. Uh, same thing, we see this per, almost per, very perplexing. In Romans chapter 13, we see uh, the Apostle Paul, he also says that every, he says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All right, so there's this really difficult command to be subject to the authorities that are over us, even though we know they're broken. But what God is saying is that I am so sovereign and, and completely in control that you can trust me and obey these authorities in me, in the Lord. And you can trust that your obedience, even to them, 
can ultimately work out uh, for your good, that I have your best interest at heart. So, uh, again, let me uh, say also this extends out of the family. This also extends into the workplace. It extends into government. Uh, I talked about governing authorities, but there's also employee-employer relationships. You know, we can uh, apply this, and it's taught elsewhere in Scripture, that employers ought to treat their employees fairly. Uh, They ought not to treat their employees like they are beneath them. Uh, They ought to treat them with dignity and respect, give them a fair wage, give them fair working conditions, those things like that. Employees ought to treat their employers with respect and honor. And even when employers, I mean, if you have a bad boss, let's say, God can even use that uh, for your good when you obey them. Um, now, of course, there's a caveat that when, when an authority is abusing you or, um, or, is, or is mistreating you, especially for children, I want to say this, like, then tell somebody. You know, you don't have to obey that, that rule. If, if, a, if a command is going to lead you to sin or for your, a command is going to lead your body to be harmed or abused, your privacy abused in some way, then, then that's, that's different. Uh, without those exceptions. So that's what this means. It is a total obedience towards the authorities in our lives without grumbling, without uh, questioning God's goodness in the process, without mocking them as people. We might think their ideas are wrong, but not mocking them as people. It also means for parents that we, we look at our, our children, or maybe as teachers to our students or employers to employees, we look at them with with care. We see them with dignity. We respect them uh, without ever thinking of them as beneath us because we make more money than them. Uh, For parents, it means never losing our temper when kids are kids and clumsy and spill milk, when ultimately you're mad not because they squirmed at the table when they were told not to. Ultimately, you're mad because it interfered with your schedule because now you have to clean up milk instead of doing something else that you wanted to do. This is the command to parent and love well, uh, to obey those in authority over us without grumbling, without mocking them. Now, this is a hard command, and here's why it's a hard command, because ultimately, it's not that the rule is bad. There are a lot of bad rules, right? I've heard in I don't know if it's bad or not, you'll judge. In Arkansas, I've heard that at one point, maybe now, it was illegal to have a donkey sleeping in your bathtub after 7 p.m. That's actually a law that someone made. There's another one um, where I've heard this is the case. This can't possibly, at one point, there was a law in Memphis, Tennessee that said um, if a woman is driving, her husband has to be walking in front of the car with a flag to warn oncoming motorists. Like that was a... It's, it's, anyway, uh, so there are a lot of laws that you look at the law and you think, okay, I'm just, that's just a dumb law. We can look at, at God's commands and feel the weight and just feel our inadequacy to fulfill them. And we can think that's a dumb law. And we might say that, that's, that's ridiculous. No one can obey that. No one should obey that. And we might even change the law a little bit to be less difficult. But the reality is God's law is good. The hard thing is God's perfect law exposes us as, as sinners and is not able to, to keep it. And what it exposes in our hearts, really, is that we just don't like being told what to do. There's something inside us 
that does not like being told what to do. We like being in charge. And, and there is uh, there's a, a craving that we have to be honored. And that craving to be honored so often outweighs our desire to honor others. We just don't want to be told what to do, and our craving to be honored so often outweighs our desire to honor others as we ought to. And so the problem isn't with God and his law. The problem is with something in our hearts. And we see this in, um, you know, maybe you're familiar with the story of the forbidden fruit. Maybe you've heard this. If you haven't, I'll I'll summarize it for you. Uh, But Adam and Eve were told you can eat anything in this garden that, you're, that you live in. They lived in the Garden of Eden. You can eat fruit, vegetables from any place, any tree, except for this one tree. Don't eat fruit from this one, one tree. And, and, they, and they said, if you do it, you'll die. And a, a serpent came. The devil came. A serpent came and said, and challenged that. And how did the serpent, if you're familiar with the story, get, uh, it was Eve ultimately, to take the fruit and bite? Remember how? He essentially said, God isn't looking out for your best. God is trying to take all the honor away from you. He wants you to honor him, but he's laughing at you behind his back. Eve felt like she was being dishonored, like God was holding out on her. God was a bad authority. Those are the thoughts that, that the serpent was putting in her mind. And it was her craving to be honored the serpent said, eat this fruit and you'll be like God. Eat this fruit and you'll be honored like God is. Eat this fruit and you'll be special. Eat this fruit and you won't be second to anybody. And so she took and ate the fruit and uh, immediately realized, and Adam ate too, and they immediately realized what they had done. It was a craving for honor that outweighed their desire to honor. You know, this happens a lot in, in regular life when maybe at work, uh, let's say you've been working on something, a project for a long time, and you've been putting a lot of energy into it, you were supposed to put energy into it, and you really nailed it. You feel you did a really good job. Uh, maybe your boss is away, and when your boss comes back, you know, you want to show, you know, this is where we are, I think we're right on pace, this is tremendous, but instead your boss, of recognizing that and saying, good job, your boss this happens to be in a bad mood, and, and just points out a couple things you didn't do. And how does that make you feel? I mean, the, the boss really comes down on you. I mean, you feel dishonored. You feel, uh, you feel left, left behind. You feel missed, right? And, and you might choose in your desire to be honored to go and grumble, uh, to go and, and mock your boss to another employee. You can go, go take that out in some way or another because, because you're feeling dishonored. It, this happens at home. If you come home after a long day, and whether you live um, alone and your cats look at you funny when you come home, or whether you uh, have a roommate or a spouse uh, and or children, and you come home, it's been a long day, and you really just need to decompress. You need to sit down for 20, 30 minutes and just not think about anything before you shift gears. But the first thing that happens when you walk in is that, you know, chaos happens, something breaks, everyone needs you, everyone has been waiting for you to come home, and uh, people aren't happy that you're home. They're not saying, good job, we're so happy that you've worked, and now that you're home, we're glad to see you again. 
And how does that make you feel? You, you feel dishonored. And, and that desire, or that feeling of being dishonored can lead us to then not treat others in our household with honor. Uh, to be short and harsh with our children. Uh, to be snippy with our spouse. Uh, to, uh, or if you're a child and it's been a long day, you know, to be, to be really just rude towards your parents. Our thirst, our craving for honor. We've talked about the command to honor, and now our craving for honor. It is get in the way. Um, you know, it, it is true that we have a craving for honor, and we also long for positions of authority without having to have the responsibility that come with them. This is another way that our craving for honor gets in the way of things. Uh, Albert Einstein once said, uh, Albert Einstein, who was an authority on many subjects with, with physics, and he was a professor and all kinds of things, um, he, uh, he says this kind of funny, he says, to punish me for my own contempt of authority, fate has made me an authority myself. Uh, you know, and isn't that true? Like, we, we find ourselves uh, discontent with the authorities over us, and yet fumbling with the responsibility of being authorities in our lives uh, as well. Uh, so, again, as we crave it, this honor, we feel we fall short. So, imagine how things would be different, though, if you were honored as you felt you should be. I mean, isn't there something in every one of us that rehearses that in our mind? I mean, how many of you have seen the movie Rudy? And, and you think, yeah, that's me. Someday that'll be me. Someday I'll be everybody's hero. Or or seen any movie where the hero at the end is celebrated and welcomed and uh, there's a party thrown for them. Well, you know what? When the prodigal son came back home from having gone and totally blown it, after suing his father, telling his father he wished he were dead, he came back home saying, maybe I could possibly be a, a servant in my father's household. Maybe I can make a minimum wage and sleep out in the alley. Maybe he'll allow me that. At least I can have something to eat. But his father instead runs to him and bestows on him the highest honor his father can give. Uh, his, fa his father runs, which in that day and age, you did not do. If you were a dignified, wealthy man, you do not run. You'd have to like pick up your, your robes in a really funny way and like, you know, like, how do you, how do, you do that? You wore robes, and, and, and you wore robes to prove that you were not the one who was supposed to run. You had servants who would do the running. But he ran when he saw his son return, and he took off his robe and put it on his son. He took off his ring, and his ring is like uh, the sign of his authority, and put it on his son's finger to bless him and hugged him and kissed him, and threw the biggest party they ever could. How backwards is that? How backwards is that? And that's what God, our Father, does with us. And that's what He can do for you. If you don't know Him, if you don't know God as your Father, but you feel that craving for honor, let me tell you that all the honor you're really looking for will be found in Him in this way. In that Christ is like that figure who, who came 
on our behalf and, and had a perfect life. He honored his own father perfectly and, 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 and bestows on us the same kind of love, undeserved love, undeserved honor, undeserved favor. Did you know that we will, uh, that we who, who believe in Christ undeservedly will not only be forgiven of our sins, but all of Christ's good deeds are counted as, as though they're ours, like they're credited to our account. Not only are we no longer bankrupt and our account is brought to zero, but all of the great things, all the obedience that Jesus has done is, is put in our bank account an infinite sum, and it's ours. An infinite sum of honor. When God the Father looks at us, if you're in Christ, if you believe in him, when God the Father looks at you, uh, he knows we struggle, but he sees, uh, he looks at us with respect. He looks at us with love, as though, you know, we're not the, 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 the disgraceful one anymore. Because we're in Christ, he sees us, and, and he loves us, and is proud of us with the same affection with which he feels for his own son, Jesus. Now, this message of the gospel is incredibly challenging, and it's difficult for some to hear. This was very difficult for the prodigal son's older brother. Maybe you've heard this. He had an older brother, and his older brother was really mad because his older brother was the good one. The prodigal son was the, was the bad son, but the older brother was the good son, the one who never did anything wrong, who, who never disobeyed his father, who, who woke up early when he was supposed to to do all the chores he was supposed to do, didn't complain, didn't grumble. He did all the right things, and when he sees the father uh, essentially spending his own inheritance now on his younger disobedient brother, he's just furious because the older brother thought that by all his goodness, he was earning honor for himself. He thought that his goodness would get him in favor with the father. And the father was saying, no amount of obedience or goodness can, can reach the level you need to get to to have my love. I give you my love freely. It is far harder to receive than to earn it's, much, it's harder to receive God's grace than it is to earn his favor, to think that, yeah, I do one good thing that, may, you know, you kind of feel good about yourself. God must like me more. You do another good thing, ah, oh, I feel pretty good about myself. God must like me a little bit more. It's far easier to, to earn our way so we think into God's favor than just receive the grace that he freely gives through Christ. The... We read also earlier from Proverbs 1, and uh, Proverbs 1 is a great illustration. Uh, it has this, this picture of, of, of the father's commands and the mother's instruction uh, are like a graceful garland for your head and a pendant around your neck. Uh, the imagery, you know, you might think of, of ancient Rome or ancient Egypt really at that time, but you think of a, a crown of glory. You think of, of the, the wreath that a Caesar would have worn. Uh, this is a crown of splendor, a crown of rank, a crown of honor, a crown of privilege that is, it is given through the commands. Just having the commands is something that, that special. And, and indeed, because of Christ's obedience, not only are we loved and honored as the Father loves Christ, but did you know that we will actually rule and reign with Christ. That he will be the, the, the chief 
king, but that we will rule and reign with him. He, he still desires, and his plan is that human beings would be entrusted with authority. We will rule and reign over the earth with him in subjection to him. We, will, uh, we, we are called co-heirs with Christ. We are given all the inheritance that he earned on our behalf. But what was that process like for him? That process was, was this. His perfect obedience for him led not to a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. Not, not a crown of splendor, but a crown of shame. And, and instead of a, a gold necklace to signify his, his rank and his prestige, he was, he, instead, uh, all of our sins were placed upon his shoulders as he died on that cross for us. And he did so that we might have our sins forgiven and know that we are forgiven and loved. And that just as, as we read in Philippians 2, you know, Christ was obedient to his Father, perfectly obedient to the point of death on the cross. And why did he do that? Because he saw, Jesus saw, that the second person of the Trinity saw us, not as, as, as those beneath him, but he saw us with dignity. And he actually became one of us. He not only treated us with respect, he became one of us. He became the least of us. He became, uh, in a, came to earth in a poor family, born probably in an alleyway, uh, born in a working class, you know, very uh, in society, just right, right at the bottom level. He came to do that out of love for us. And he had all the, the treasures of heaven, but he was willing to surrender the glory of heaven to the gain of heathen, to the gain of us. He loved us so much that he would do that. And he, as Philippians 2 says, that therefore God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name um, that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will all bow our knee to Christ, but we will also share in his glory. Share in ruling and reigning with him. Receive a crown, if you will. We have all the honor we could ever crave. And just think, when you, when you think of what Jesus has done, that we might receive what we could never earn. It, it, it frees you up. It frees you up when you go home and you want to be honored for your hard work, but you feel dishonored. You know, when you have on your mind and you've, your heart has been transformed and you believe that, that yes, in Jesus, you are uh, given all the honor you could ever crave. You know, all of a sudden, a little bit of disrespect just will, you know, it still hurts, but it doesn't hurt as bad. It, it doesn't make you mad. When, when you feel your employer, your parent, gives you an unfair command, when you think of all the love and favor and honor that God bestows on you and, and sees you with, through Christ, that, that unfair command, you'll be willing to, to obey because you think of how much greater God is. So let's, 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 praise, uh, let's praise the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we, we give you all thanks and praise. We, you are truly worthy of all our worship. 
although we, we share honor and we worship sometimes each other, we worship other things, we worship our children, we worship our jobs, we worship so many things that we feel will give us honor. Father, you, uh, you alone are the one worthy of it. And Father, you, through Christ, um, exalt us to the level of being your adopted children, co-heirs, um, co-heirs of the promise, this promise that, that we will live um, and be blessed because we'll live forever and be blessed because of what you have done. Father, we pray that you would enable us to hold on to that and enable us to, to believe in that more. We pray that, uh, that you would transform our ability, uh, transform our employeeship, transform our parenthood, transform our ob- obedience, transform how we exercise authority. We pray that others would see this and they would note that it's different and that they would see something different because it's something you're doing inside us and out of us. We pray this would transform our, our homes and our workplaces and our communities and, and even transform the world more and more with your gospel. Uh, Lord, we give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.